0: Good morning. Why are you here? Not why are you here at Kingsway or just here this morning? Why are you here to begin with? What would you say? Maybe you haven't thought about that in a very long time and answered that question, or maybe you've never answered that question. And until you discover that there is a truly compelling and ultimately fulfilling answer to that question, your life will either spiral toward despair and depression on the one end or end in a pile of good things, not great, things that you cannot take with you. There's a reason for your life, the universe, everything, and it's found in the pages of the Bible. And Paul answers this question, this big question, your ultimate life question in Colossians 1, 15 through 23. Here's the big idea. If you're taking notes, the big idea is this, the universe exists to glorify Jesus Christ. Now why do I say that? It's because of of who Jesus is and it's because of what Jesus has done. So who is Jesus? Number one, Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. Look at verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God. Consider what this tells us about God's nature. He's not constrained to a single location, He's not physical, He's spirit. He's invisible by His very nature. Consider 1 Timothy 6, verse 16. He alone is immortal and lives in unapproachable light whom no one has seen or can see. We cannot see God, but what does our text say about Jesus? It says that he's the image of God. What does it mean to be an image, especially of something invisible? Well, to image something is is to be in the likeness of, to exemplify, to represent. Why is that significant? Why is it significant that Jesus is the image of the invisible God? Well, who else is said to image God? We are images of God. Humans. Remember in Genesis 1:26 and 27, God says, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And so God created man in his image, and in the image of God, he created them. It was all by design. But what happens? when we fail in keeping with our identity as image bearers, when we stop reflecting his image in our words and in our actions in our attitudes, we corrupt the image. And that's what every human has done from Adam till now, save one. And who's the one? It's Jesus the new and better Adam. He's the perfect image of the invisible God. Continuing in verse 15, it says that he is the firstborn of all creation. Now that's not to say that he is a created being far from it. To the contrary, this word is to use is used to introduce his primacy, his supremacy. Therefore we understand that his position is both before and above creation. John Calvin warned that we must be careful not to look for God anywhere else, for apart from Christ, whatever offers itself in the name of God will become an idol. And consider how many religions have done that. Think of Islam or Hinduism or Buddhism. Everyone in the world claims to know who God is, but only Jesus has given us the visible revelation of the invisible God. Number two, Jesus made everything in the universe and everything in the universe was made for Jesus. Look at verse 16. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Everything in heaven, everything on earth, everything that can be seen and everything that cannot be seen. Think of it. For, for hundreds of generations, humans thought that the earth was flat, that the sun revolved around the earth, and that essentially we were the center of the universe. How little did we know? How many of you guys remember the news in 1990? What, what was it that NASA launched into space? Anybody remember? the Hubble Space Telescope. How many of you guys are old enough to remember that in the news? How many of you guys were born after 1990? Okay, I, okay it's, a bit, it's, a bit, it's about a split. I, um, this shows my age, but I was born after 1990. I don't remember the Hubble Telescope uh, being put into space, but that's not my point. <laughs> my point is, what has it, what has it produced? What, is it has, what, it, what has it revealed to us? It has revealed thousands upon thousands Of stars, planets, and galaxies. And do you know who made all of those glorious things? Jesus. Jesus made those things. And consider us in contrast to the vast universe. We are in one galaxy, in one solar system, on one planet, on one continent. In a single country, in a single state, in a single city, in one building, in one room. Have you located yourself? (laughs) According to a science report from the BBC, the world contains about 8.7 million kinds of species, and humans are only one. All of this, everything on planet Earth, everything in the Milky Way galaxy, all these millions of stars and galaxies, all of it was made. Here's my point, to glorify one person, Jesus Christ. Third, Jesus sustains everything in the universe by his power. Look at verse 17. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. He is the Lord of creation. He sustains it with the word of his power. Consider in Genesis when God says, let there be light, what happens? There's light, there's power. And Hebrews one verse three says, Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. Jesus powerfully holds all things together. And again, consider ourselves in contrast to Jesus. We didn't choose when we would be born or to what parents we would be born, or in what century we would be born. We live to maybe 75 or 80 years old, and as Psalm one hundred three fourteen tells us, God knows our frame and remembers that we are dust. We cannot sustain our own lives past the allotted time that Jesus determines. See, scientists at, at a prominent school in England Um, have determined how much longer the Earth will be inhabitable. Uh, They say, barring nuclear war, rogue asteroids, or being destroyed to make room for a hyperspace bypass, uh, the research have estimated that the Earth will remain inhabitable for the next 1.75 to 3.25 billion years. Wait, what? How, how could you possibly know how long the earth is going to be inhabitable? It's only going to be inhabitable as long as Jesus sustains it, as long as Jesus holds it together. And a couple of those caveats are are possible, right? I mean, the asteroids or the nuclear war, maybe not the hyperspace bypass, but, um, but it's Jesus that's holding us together. It's Jesus. He holds everything together. He even holds you together, down to your very pulse, your heartbeat, your very breath. You woke up this morning because Jesus held you together. The pre existent one is sustaining everything in the universe. Number four, Jesus is the head of his church. Look at verse 18 with me, and he's head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn of the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. He's the head of the body. What does that mean? Well, Jesus isn't just some cosmic force doing cool things out in the world, he's intrinsically relational. He's creative and sustaining and he's using these creative and sustaining and life-giving power and it's being directed towards something. What is it being directed toward? His people. The church. The church is like a body made up of many members, diverse in its various parts, but unified in this, that Jesus is the head of the church. Now keep reading. He is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead. Now think, he he lived, Jesus lived a perfect life that we could never live. He died the death that we deserve. His resurrection inaugurates something new, new life. So what have we learned about Jesus so far? That he's the image of God, that he made everything and everything was made for him. That he sustains everything and that all of that power and love is being directed toward his people. He is the head of the church. But why does that matter? Why? Why is Jesus who he is? And why does Jesus do what he does? It's not random. There's a reason. He's on a mission, he's pursuing something. And it's this, it's the exaltation of the glory of God in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Look at at the end of verse 18, it tells us right there what this is all about. That in everything he might be preeminent. That's the mission of the universe revealed. What does it mean to be preeminent? To be supreme, to be glorious, to be exalted. Now, what does that not mean? It doesn't mean that, that Jesus somehow becomes more worthy. It's that his worth is made known, it's revealed, his glory is made known. And where is that glory made known? Look at verse 16, 17, and 18. By him, all things were created. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things. In him, all things hold together. That in everything, he might be preeminent. God's mission for the universe is that the glory of Jesus Christ would be made known in all things. Now that sounds awesome, sure. But do you believe it? Doesn't our world feel a little bit more chaotic than that? What about our personal lives? Is the world chaotic? Does it feel chaotic? Yes, absolutely. But is it, are we in utter chaos? No. No. We're not without purpose. The universe has a point. The universe has a goal. It's heading somewhere. It's going somewhere. Every atom in every galaxy, every atom in the universe is inescapably and undeniably moving toward the glory of Jesus Christ. You don't live in utter chaos, brothers and sisters. Be encouraged by that. You're part of something infinitely good, infinitely right, infinitely beautiful. And it's as soon as I say those words that I I can feel the tension that you feel Which is, how do you know? Well, because Paul goes on and and he tells us how we can know. Number five, Jesus is reconciling all things to God. Look at verses 19 and 20. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. In Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Again, he's the perfect image. The complete revelation of God. But he's also busy doing something, and it's this. Through his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus Christ is reconciling all things to God. Things aren't right in the world. Look around you in politics, legalized abortion, domestic abuse, hateful racism, political corruption and and world hunger, we're all looking to make sense of it all, are we not? We're looking for hope. And what's our hope? This is our hope, that God's mission for the universe will ultimately be accomplished in glory, or said differently, and maybe more clearly, our hope is heaven. The Bible's honest, friends, about the suffering that we're going to experience in this world, in this present age. It's honest about the painful losses that we will experience, about the wickedness and injustice that we will endure but the Bible is also full of expectation and hope because one day Jesus will make all things new. So we must not look to earth, for that which God has only promised will be complete in heaven where he will wipe away every tear from our eyes and death shall be no more and neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things will have passed away. So where will you turn in this life, friend, when you experience suffering and loss and fall into depression? Our strength and our comfort and our rest is found in Jesus who is himself our peace. Where do we find ourselves in this grand narrative? If the universe exists to glorify Jesus Christ, then what kind of implication does that have for you and me? Well, I'm glad you asked. Paul was thinking the same thing and he, he answers that very question in the next several lines. So this is the second big idea. Not only does the universe exist to glorify Jesus Christ, you exist to glorify Jesus Christ. And you exist to do this in two ways. One, by being reconciled to God. And two, by being sanctified by God. Let's look at the first. By being reconciled to God. Look at at verse 21. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds... He is now reconciled in his body and the flesh by his death. Now note the past tense here. He's talking about something that has changed. Who is he talking to then? He's talking to Christians and he's saying, listen up. This is who you once were. You were alienated and separated and hostile and corrupt and self-serving and doing evil deeds. And what has changed, Christian? Did you do anything to change that? One thing has changed. Someone paid a price. Someone who didn't want you to be separated from him. Someone who didn't want you to be an enemy of him. Someone who didn't want you to be a slave of your self-serving pride. One thing has changed. Jesus paid a price. And that price that he paid was costly. It cost him his life. And because he gave his life, because of his death, we can now be reconciled to God, to the praise and glory of whom? Jesus. Second, by being sanctified by God. You, you exist to glorify Jesus Christ by being sanctified by God. Now look at the last part of verse 22. In order to present you holy, holy, and blameless, and above reproach before him. There's a desired outcome here. Reconciliation is the means. What's the end? In order that, look at the language, in order that, so that, because, for which the reason is. Feel the anticipation, what is he going to answer that? Why, what is this all leading toward? What's God's plan for me? That you would be presented to God as holy, blameless, above reproach. That we would be dedicated and devoted to God. That we'd be full of love and joy and peace and forbearance and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. That our hearts would be clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And consider Christ's position in this verse. Where's Jesus? He's the very one who presents us to God. Your sanctification matters to God because it gives Jesus glory. So don't rob him of his glory. And this leads us to our response to this glorious mission. After God reveals his mission for all things, His mission for your life, what must we do? And here's the third big idea hold fast to the word of Christ. Hold fast to the word of Christ. Look at the last verse, verse 23. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you've heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of of which I, Paul, became a minister. Note the if. There's a very real tension here. What is Paul saying? He's saying that in light of the fact that our only hope of glory is this good news that Jesus is reconciling us to God in light of the fact that the entire universe was created for Jesus and that your life was created for Jesus. There's one conclusion. What must we do? Hold fast. Look at what he says. Look at the language. Continue in the faith. Be stable and steadfast. Do not shift. In other words, you will be tempted to give up. You will experience instability and insecurity. And if you're not careful, you will shift. So what must we do? Hold fast. But to what? What are we supposed to hold fast to? Now let's not allow ourselves to be vague here. Paul's more specific How many of us have have told a friend, hold fast to Christ, friend, when they're going through something difficult? We don't want to give each other vague Christianese. God's more caring than that, and Paul's more careful than that. So let's look at what Paul says. What are we supposed to hold fast to? It's right there in the text. It's the gospel that you have heard, which has been proclaimed, and of which Paul is now a minister. What is Paul a minister of? The hope of the gospel, and more specifically, the word of Christ, the truth of who Jesus is, what he's done in the past, what he's doing now, what he's going to do in the future, his promise. It's a message that has been heard, it's been proclaimed, and it's now a ministry So what do you hold fast to, friends? You hold fast to this, the word of Christ, the Bible. And how? How do you hold fast? How do you hold fast to the Bible, the word of Christ, when life hits you upside the head? What do you do? How are you supposed to do it? Well, consider when you receive an unexpected medical bill, Or perhaps a major appliance in your house needs to be repaired or replaced. And you may be tempted to freak out and feel like everything in your life is falling apart. But what do you need? What you need is the word of Christ to remind you that you don't hold your life together, Jesus does. And he's working all things together for good for those that love God and have been called according to his purpose. Where do I get that? It's from the word of Christ. That's what I need. What about when you're stressed about upcoming homework assignments? Or perhaps work deadlines. You may be tempted to find relief for that stress by looking at pornography. But what do you need? What you need is the word of Christ to remind you that Jesus is supremely satisfying, better than any momentary sinful pleasure. For you make known to me the paths of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. In that moment of temptation, we need the word of Christ, friend. Or perhaps when you don't feel a thing. What do you do when you don't feel a thing toward God? It just feels cold and like you're in the dark. And you question if your conversion was real. What do you need? What you need is to be directed to the Word of Christ, where God reveals that He has acted decisively, once and for all to reveal himself to you in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And more than that, that his plan for you is so glorious that he wants to reconcile you to God. What do we need when we're faced with the difficulties of life and the temptations of evil, we need the word of Christ. We need to hold fast to it. Holding fast to Christ requires the word, the Bible, not not fine wine, not romance, not a promotion, not good health, not more money. None of these things answer the question, the big question. Only the word of Christ can reorient your life toward what is real and true and beautiful So hold fast. In closing, why? Why are you here? Not why are you here at Kingsway. Not why are you here this morning. Why are you here to begin with? Is it random chance or natural selection? No. There's a reason. The universe exists to glorify Jesus Christ. So what must we do? We align ourselves to God's glorious mission for the universe by holding fast to Christ. We align ourselves to God's glorious mission for the universe by holding fast to Christ. So I want to locate our hope in God. Maybe you've lived a long and full life. And maybe your body is not what you, what it used to be. Maybe your mind works slower than you want it to. What are you holding on to? Where is your hope, Christian? Hold fast to the word of Christ. Maybe you're in the midst of parenting several children, high school, middle school, preschool, toddlers, little babies. Maybe you're in the middle of a career or a career change and your life is just full of a busy schedule of anxiety and stress and anxiety and stress and more of the same. Where is your hope Christian? Hold fast to the word of Christ. And maybe you're like me, you're a young person. Maybe you're a part of Frontline, or you're a young adult, a student, or someone trying to discover your career path. Maybe you've found a fulfilling relationship in marriage, or maybe you want that so badly. But let me ask you, where is your hope, Christian? Where is your hope? Our only hope is if we hold fast to the word of Christ. Let's pray. God, you are greater than we can imagine. Your thoughts are far above our thoughts, your ways above our ways. We cannot comprehend you in your fullness and I feel so minuscule when compared to the glories just of your creation, let alone of the glories of Christ and reconciliation. And God, I thank you for showing me my place in all of this. And I pray for my friends here, my family, my fellow Christians, and those who listening are not yet following you. I pray that you would give them hope in the trials of life, in the temptations that we face, that they would hold fast to the word of Christ. Amen.